Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Dr. Anthony Fauci is stepping down, but don't let it fool you, his work, it will continue. And what Brian Stelter's CNN finale reveals about the future of the media landscape in America. You're listening to the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I'm Brad Binkley. Top story of the day has got to be that Dr. Anthony Fauci is stepping down from his role as chief medical propagandist for the federal government. The 81-year-old Fauci, a pocket-sized man who never met a lie he wouldn't tell, announced today that he will be leaving his position as the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, as well as his job as chief of the NIAID Laboratory of Immunoregulation and his role as chief medical advisor to President Joe Biden. Now, as exciting as this may seem, Fauci assured everyone that he's not retiring that after 50 years of lying for the government, he plans to pursue the next phase of his career. Here's what he said in his official statement. While I am moving on from my current position, I'm not retiring. All right, I'll spare you the Fauci impersonation for now. While I am moving on from my current position, I am not retiring. After more than 50 years of government service, I plan to pursue the next phase of my career while I still have so much energy and passion for my field. I want to use what I have learned as NIAID director to continue to advance science and public health and to inspire and mentor the next generation of scientific leaders as they prepare the world to face future infectious disease threats. So that's really what we need right there is Fauci grooming the scientific leaders of the future out of the limelight where he can manipulate and shape their young, impressionable scientific minds without the scrutiny of those who are wise to his deceptive ways. So basically, We're just not going to see his face and hear that voice that sounds like he eats a bowl of cigarettes for breakfast every morning. We're not going to hear that as much anymore, but he's still on the job, just in a different role. He's going from working in the public sector as a propagandist to working in the private sector as a youth indoctrinator. So while one Anthony Fauci will be stepping down in December if his mentorship program goes well, then the future could bring us dozens of little Anthony Fauci's. And make no mistake about it, his mentoring... We'll focus on messaging, on crisis communication, on propaganda, because that is what he does. It is what he has always done. So hopefully, these young scientific minds will question the very unscientific teachings of Dr. Anthony Fauci and reject his programming. Only time will tell. So that's one thing going on here. He's not so much stepping down as he is being given a new assignment, one in which he can carry on his work free from the criticisms of his current one. Another thing that some believe is going on here is that Fauci is leaving in December because of the possibility that the Republicans might take over control of the House in the midterm elections. And if that happens, it would make his life much harder. I think there's definitely some validity to that. Although not working for the government doesn't mean he escapes a potential investigation. After Fauci's announcement this morning, Rand Paul tweeted that Fauci's resignation will not prevent a full-throated investigation into the origins of the pandemic and that Fauci will be asked to testify under oath regarding any discussions he participated in concerning the lab leaks. Another Republican, James Comer, 
who will chair the House Oversight Committee if the Republicans take the House, tweeted that retirement can't shield Dr. Fauci from congressional oversight. And a bunch of other Republicans had some choice words for Fauci as well. Also, he had previously said that he would step down by the end of Biden's first term. Perhaps he's anticipating that Biden's term will end shortly after the midterms, as I am also anticipating. And maybe the reason he's stepping down is because he's a racist and a sexist who refuses to work for a black woman. But here's what I believe is the biggest reason that he's likely stepping down. And I know that I talk about this a lot right now because you can absolutely see it. And it was absolutely the instructions at Davos, the main thing they talked about. The controlling institutions in our society who have lost the trust of the public are engaged in an ongoing effort to rebuild that trust and thus regain that control over the broader public's minds. And they can then direct them to take actions or coerce them into taking actions because people will accept their propaganda. This is the Davos elite's agenda. They said this must be done because they acknowledge that the public of the world no longer trust the elites and their institutions, and the success of their Great Reset plans depend on regaining the trust of the wider public so they can then manipulate them. So Fauci's gone in December because he has to be, just like Brian Stelter has to be gone from CNN, because too many people don't trust them, and at this point never will. And rightfully so, because all they've done the past few years as spokespeople for the institutions they represent is lie to us over and over again. Even after their lives have been exposed, they just keep doing it unapologetically. These guys have come to symbolize everything that's wrong with the institutions in this country, and many Democrats see them that way as well. Yeah, there's a few vocal progressives on social media that still support them, probably activists, but the reputation of these two dudes is so tainted across the country that no organization who wants to be taken seriously and wants to be trusted can employ them. Not in a public-facing way, anyway. CNN cannot have Brian Stelter as a featured show host and also be a trusted organization. You can't have both of those. Same with Fauci. So they had to go, and they'll be replaced with a lesser-known, less polarizing propagandist who the American people don't yet have strong feelings about. So that these new guys or gals, or theys, or theybies, can continue to push the same propaganda agenda with less scrutiny at first anyway until people become more familiar with them. So they have to recycle in some new faces to deliver the same messages. That's why CNN put Oliver Darcy, I talked about this the other day, who was Stelter's protege in the role of head media analyst at CNN. Same role that Stelter filled. Just look at these Davos trust titles again from May during their World Economic Forum annual meeting. Rebuilding societal trust. AI on the street managing trust in the public square. Pioneering ways to strengthen digital trust with a label. Tackling youth mistrust. Transforming through trust. Trustworthiness in the digital ecosystem. And that's just some of them. I mean, this is why we have more power than we realize. We hold the key to the success of the Great Reset Agenda in our hands. It's our trust. And they're coming after it hardcore right now, man. The great Davos trust-building exercise has gone live. And all we have to do is not give it to them. And I don't mean like distrust everything absolutely all the time. It's not what I'm talking about. What I mean is that they're trying to win our trust for the purpose of lulling us back to sleep, to get us to stop asking questions, to get us to stop critically analyzing the content of the messages they deliver, and to get us to stop seeking sources outside of them as a way to verify or refute the things that they tell us. 
So I don't mean be distrustful all the time. I just mean that we got to keep doing what we've always done. And that's asking those questions. That's all we got to do. Critically analyzing that content they send us. Stay on guard. Even when we do trust a source, we should still maintain that level of skepticism and critically analyze it. Then we can verify ourselves, outside sources. They want us to depend wholly on them. And we must never, ever do that. These are the things that we can control, you know. And they also happen to be the very things that these globalists so badly want to snuff out. They want collectivism. They do not want individual thought. It is their enemy. You get what I'm saying, right? Like people talk about fighting the new world order. The things I'm talking about here, these are the weapons. This is what they fear the most. And we all possess them. Every single one of us does. All we got to do is stay strong, keep asking questions, baby. All right, so Fauci's announcement that he's taken his talents to the public sector marked the second time in two days that America has lost or found out that it has lost one of its most reliable sources. The other, as you know, is the departure of Brian Stelter from CNN. There have been some developments in that story in response to his final episode, which aired on Sunday. And I wouldn't be me if I didn't bring you some clips of that show. And there's some good ones, no doubt. But first, there was something interesting that happened. So Reliable Sources comes on, and immediately after it, State of the Union with Jake Tapper comes on back-to-back on CNN. Now, I believe, at least it sure seemed this way to me, that there was a coordinated propaganda campaign led by blue check mark progressives on Twitter, like Keith Oberman and others, to react to Stelter's show and then to Tapper's show in ways that highlighted the differences in what CNN was and what they say CNN is going to be, or at least make it look like There are vast differences while covering up all of the things that will remain the same, but just delivered in a little bit of a different way. Here's what I mean. During Reliable Sources, the finale, the progressive blue check marks and their followers on Twitter were praising Stelter. He's a hero who stands up for authoritarianism and he handled his last show with dignity and his head held high. And they could not believe that his show was gone. It was such an important show for protecting our democracy. Praising the way CNN was, the CNN of old, the Stelter CNN. Then State of the Union comes on afterwards, and during that show, the exact same progressive blue check marks are tweeting their outrage about Tapper's handling of an interview with Dan Crenshaw, Republican Dan Crenshaw. They were angered that he would even give a Republican like Crenshaw airtime to voice his opinion, and at one point, Crenshaw was speaking about the Mar-a-Lago classified documents, and he said that he hasn't seen any evidence that Trump was asked by the DOJ to give the documents back. Now, this set off the blue check marks and their followers who tweeted their outrage about how Tapper let Crenshaw lie, and Tapper didn't even stop him and call him out on it. I mean, they were mad about this, and it's strange because later on in the show, Tapper actually did contradict what Crenshaw said about that. One person on Twitter said something like this, Stelter fights for democracy against authoritarians, and his show got canceled. Now Tapper lets a Republican like Crenshaw lie about authoritarians without calling him out? Hashtag boycott CNN. And boycott CNN trended at the top of Twitter on Sunday, as did Jake Tapper. Top two trends for a while, pretty much all day into the next day. And when you click on them, all of the tweets are about how heroic Stelter was and how important he is and how awful Tapper's evil even. I mean, if you read only those tweets and didn't watch any of Tapper's show, 
You'd think that he body switched with Tucker Carlson and Carlson was doing a show. That Tapper maybe came out of the closet as a Republican and his opening line was something like, you're watching State of the Union, I'm your host and proud member of the Republican Party, Jake Tapper, and then spent the rest of the show telling his audience why they too should be Republicans. But that's the thing. His show was nothing like it was described by the blue check marks on Twitter. It in no way resembled what they were saying. Tapper did, in fact, as I mentioned, challenge the claims by Crenshaw that so upset progressive Twitter. And on top of that, along with Crenshaw, he also interviewed two Democrats. He spoke with Mark Kelly about the climate crisis and how you can see climate change from space. You're an astronaut. You, you've flown in space four times. Have you seen firsthand from space the effects of climate change on our planet? Yeah, I have. You know, I flew my first space flight in 2001 and my last one in 2011 when Gabby was in the hospital. Uh, that was four flights over a decade. And the deforestation that you see across the planet is evident from space. And if one guy can see changes in our planet from low Earth orbit, um, we've got a problem. And we're putting more carbon up into the atmosphere every year. Now, the Inflation Reduction Act is giving us some of the tools to deal with this. Okay, so you see how Republican that Tapper was being there because that was such a right-wing question that he asked about seeing climate change from space. He also spoke with on the show the human embodiment of pure slime, Adam Schiff, about how damning Schiff thinks that the Mar-a-Lago affidavit, which we will never see, is for Trump. And also, they spoke about next month's Jan 6 hearings, which Tapper takes entirely seriously. A very Republican right-wing thing of him to do, you know. In fact, here's how Tapper who again was trending alongside hashtag boycott CNN because of how Republican he was being, opened his show. Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, where the State of Our Union is wondering just how strong that red wave will be after months of Democratic concern and despite persistently high inflation. Democrats in Washington, D.C. are now feeling more hopeful about their chances to maintain control of the U.S. Senate this fall. Polling in key battleground states where Republicans had hoped to defend or pick up seats now appears to be trending blue. And Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell is blaming, quote, candidate quality after a series of Trump-backed hopefuls with liabilities ranging from political clumsiness to outright extremism won their Republican Party nominations. All right, well, let's see. He propagated climate change in the Inflation Reduction Act. He promoted the Jan 6 hearings, no questions asked. And to open his show, he referred to some candidates that Trump supported as literally extremists. Yet, if you looked at Twitter, you'd think that he pulled down his pants and showed off the brand new Republican elephant he just got tattooed on his ass. So what gives? I think the answer here lies in the audience that new CNN is trying to attract. So let's go back to Crenshaw just for a moment, the source of progressive Twitter's outrage. Crenshaw, as you guys know, is sometimes accused of being a rhino. He's not in the Trump camp. He's not in the Marjorie Taylor Greene camp. He doesn't question the 2020 election. He's not one of those dangerous election deniers we hear so much about. And the fact is that if we're judging his Republicanism on a scale, he's a lot less Donald Trump than he is Liz Cheney. Dan Crenshaw represents the acceptable for cable TV Republican. And that's exactly what he presented during his interview with Tapper. He demonstrated the parameters which Republicans are allowed to speak within and what they must not go outside of 
For example, he expressed concern over the Mar-a-Lago raid by the FBI in a very measured way while still calling those who went as far as to call for the defunding of the FBI as crazy. His colleagues called him crazy. That's just one example. He was helping Tapper demonstrate to those watching what the new CNN is going to be like, which it's going to be pushing the same progressive agenda that the old CNN did, except in a more subtle way while pretending to be unbiased and bipartisan by featuring non-evil Republicans, acceptable Republicans who are willing to go on TV and bash and call dangerous all the, quote, election-denying Trumpian Republicans. That's who they want to attract. They want to attract the anti-Trump Republican crowd or the people who might have questions about the 2020 election, might not think it was the most perfect election in history, but are too afraid to say anything for fear of being labeled a domestic terrorist, or even too afraid to turn on Fox News in case Tucker Carlson might be on. So they're going to have another alternative here and the more moderate CNN, which will still lean left and is going to try and attract also those moderate Democrats, but that is who they want to try and draw in. CNN, it seems like they want to try and transform themselves from the Antifa of the mainstream media into the Liz Cheney of the mainstream media. We did see how that worked up there in Wyoming. Probably not going to have too many viewers up there, but I think that's what they're going for here. Now, how does all of this relate to what's going on on Twitter or what was going on on Twitter? Well, even anti-Trump Republicans don't like Brian Stelter, and they don't like radical progressives either or their ideals. And until something changes, they're going to associate CNN with Stelter and with those progressive ideals and those progressives. In fact, so will moderate Democrats. They also don't like Stelter or radical progressives. So here's what you do in order to bring those people back to CNN, to get them to be willing to try it out again. You get a bunch of progressives on Twitter to gush over Stelter and how heroic and brave he is, which this is something that these target audiences that CNN are going after would absolutely barf at seeing. And then you get that same group of people to express utter outrage at Jake Tapper and call loudly for hashtag boycott CNN over how right-wing Tapper is acting, and then what happens? Well, you see articles about Stelter's final show and the backlash Tapper received. Whatever media that these anti-Trump Republicans watch will no doubt cover the hashtag boycott CNN trend, if nothing else, to make fun of CNN. But, but, what this does is it makes those Republicans, the ones with acceptable beliefs, think, oh, wow, progressives hate the new CNN? Really? The progressives are the whole reason that I hate CNN. So if they now hate the new CNN so much that they're boycotting it, then maybe I'll give it a shot. And then when they do, they're still going to get that progressive propaganda that I outlined that Tapper was still delivering. They're just going to get it in a little bit of a softer way, and it's going to be packaged alongside commentary and points of view from the acceptable Republicans that they feel they can say that they like out loud. And also those Republicans, by confirming assumptions that actually can't be proven that Democrats are operating on, will also be delivering progressive propaganda to these Republicans. I'm telling you, this is exactly what the new CNN head guy wanted from those two shows this past weekend. This outcome, demonstrate the old and the new even though the new is still delivering that propaganda and you have this little social media campaign going on that helps distance themselves from the radical progressives that prevent Republicans, anti-Trump Republicans, from actually watching CNN.
That's what they have to do, and they can't do it by just getting rid of Brian Stelter. They need to do stuff like this so it looks like it's trending naturally and spontaneously. We're going to see more things like this. Sure, things like this can happen naturally and spontaneously. This one was very much directed by blue check marks like Keith Oberman and others. Now, did he work with CNN and all that? I am speculating probably because these guys are thinking about all of this strategy. I mean, they have to cleanse themselves of that perception that they are just through and through radical progressive. And that's how anti-Trump people see them. So they got to wipe that free if they want to draw them back in. Now, I'm not saying it's going to work. It might work on some people. But what I am saying is that this trust-building effort is going to be hardcore. They're going to push hard with it. And they're going to do it in creative ways. And I think that this is just the beginning. All right. Well, I got a little excited about deconstructing that little propaganda operation going on. And I absolutely think it is one. So I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to calm down. And we're going to finish out the last 10 minutes of the show here with some pretty eye-opening clips from Stelter's last Reliable Sources show, which they do give insights into what the future landscape of the mainstream media and CNN might look like. And because we're only going to get through some of those during the DMB, we're going to continue them in the Drive Time News Blast XR, which is the subscriber-only content that supports this show and is the only reason I can continue doing it. You can go to patreon.com slash propaganda report to get access to that. So subscribe there today. What you will get is this show, the Drive Time News Blast ad-free. I remove all the ads for Patreon subscribers and you'll get the exclusive portion of the show as well. That's patreon.com slash propaganda report. Subscribe today. If you prefer, you can also make a one-time donation at paypal.com slash paypalme slash Brad Binkley. Okay. So Stelter did attempt to go out with a bang on his final reliable sources, brought some of his favorite guests, and they discussed whether or not they're doing enough against authoritarianism and what they think CNN and the media is going to look like in the future, among a lot of other things. And the first clip here, Stelter is wondering if the media is meeting the moment properly speaking out against the threat to democracy that we're all currently facing. That threat being, you know, Trump, election denier, orange man, conspiracy theorist, blah, blah, blah. Responding to Stelter's concerns in this clip is the editor-in-chief of The Atlantic, who talks about what he's learned in this fight against these threats to our very democracy. To here, but I wonder if we're not actually meeting this moment and speaking about the threat to democracy. No. Look, we've been slow. We, we, we are... We are Obviously, like anybody else, we, we have our traditions and our norms of the way of doing things. But but what's happened in politics in the last six or seven years is abnormal. It's not normal in the usual way that things have gone in the United States. I think we have been many, many organizations, many individuals have been slow. And I understand it. It's completely normal. I think we were slow. Um, I remember six years ago, you know, not wanting to use the word racist to describe Donald Trump. And, you know, looking for all these kind of descriptions, racially charged rhetoric and all this kind of stuff. And finally, you realize, you know what? You've got to speak plainly and you've got to speak directly and call things what they are. So we do use racist, you know, and, and we did not use lie to describe lies for a long time. But but now mm. we do. So I think we're we're catching up. But we have to we also have to at the same time explain why we're doing that in a bit. We. We're defenseless in a kind of way because we assume we've made ourselves defenseless because we assume that everybody understands who we are, what we're doing, why we're doing it and how we do it. And, mm. and I don't think that's enough anymore because there are people who are who are casting aspersions on the role and methodology of a free press. Right. Look, they're calling the media evil when, in fact, the media is just flawed. We're just flawed. Oh, they're just flawed. They're not evil. 
I mean, except for Fox News and every alternative media source, they're definitely evil. But the media stelter likes, they're just flawed. This is a bit of a rationalization here that we get from this guy from The Atlantic. He seems to be saying that politics have been abnormal and therefore we as journalists at The Atlantic simply had to abandon the norms of journalism and adopt a policy of calling people racist first, asking questions later. No evidence required. He also sounds a bit annoyed that he's had to explain himself over that policy to those casting aspersions. I mean, what's their problem? How dare people ask him to explain himself? These are obviously racist people asking these questions. Who does this guy think he is getting to determine what is and is not racist? Is there a definition that he offers? Is there a chart on the wall at the Atlantic where new journalists can look at it and say, when someone meets this criteria, then we can call them racist? Or is it just a feeling you get, you know? Are they able to look somebody in the face and they're able to just tell when someone's thinking racist thoughts? Go up to one of your progressive friends, by the way, and just look at them for a second and look real curious and go, You look like you're thinking racist thoughts, man, and I don't like it. Okay, so he's not the only one who expresses this type of shoot first, ask questions later when it comes to the labels we slap on people. One of Stelter's favorite guests in the world is there, and he also has a similar philosophy when it comes to journalism. So let's not waste any more time. Let's bring in legendary journalist Carl Bernstein, CNN political analyst, co-author of many books, including All the President's Men, and most recently, the author of Chasing History. Carl, thanks for being with me on this final program. Good to be with you, always. I want to know, you know, we've talked so many times over the years about the role of the press, but it's changed a lot in the 30 years this program's been on the air, in the 50 years, for example, since Watergate. What do you think is most important about what's changed and what do we need to make sure does not change about American journalism? I think the essential bottom line of reporting uh, is to reach the people, the readers and the viewers with what Bob Woodward and myself for 50 years now have called the best obtainable version of the truth which means even in some of the commentary or a lot of the commentary, that it, that it ought to be repertorially based. At least I, I hope I try to do that when I'm doing commentary. But more than that, you know, in this book, Chasing History, yeah. I think the most important line in the book, it's about what I learned as a 16, 17, 18-year-old going to work in journalism, is the line that I was taught by great reporters covering civil rights. And that is that the truth is not neutral. The truth is not neutral. That doesn't mean that we, we have to be fair in all we cover. We have to give acknowledgement to two sides. We have to be judicious, but not judicial. I know there's been a lot of, a lot of angst about, for instance, calling Donald Trump, not on, on this network, but all over, a criminal. Well, you know, we called Nixon a criminal president in reporting on Watergate. He, in fact, he never was convicted of a crime, but he was a criminal president. Donald Trump is a serial liar, as I once called him on the air. And I said to myself, I hope that doesn't sound pejorative because that's, and I reported, what most Republicans in the Senate of the United States regard him as. So I think we've got to do a better job explaining to our readers and our viewers Mm. what we do and how we do it. And at the same time, the bottom line has got to be the best obtainable version of the truth. And in fact, The truth is not neutral. Ask yourself this question. Is a lynching neutral? I've covered those kinds of stories. 
it's not neutral. So Bernstein learned from civil rights journalists who are almost definitely activists advocating for one position over another because, as they taught him, they believe that truth is not neutral and therefore it's perfectly moral to call those who oppose the truth that you support that aligns with your values. Anybody who does it, you can just call them racist Nazis. That's perfectly okay because the truth is on your side. That's what they do. They base their truths, Carl and many of these progressives, on values, which not everyone shares, and those who don't share their values, and thus your truth, are immoral, racist, Nazis, and whatever else. And it's not only your right to tell them that every chance you get, it's your duty to. I love the example that Bernstein gave of him reporting the best attainable version of the truth, which was him publicly calling a former president, President Nixon, who he admits was never convicted of a crime, a criminal. Bernstein went ahead and did that anyway. So these are the types of methods of the famed Watergate journalist, Carl Bernstein. This is how he does it. He calls Trump a serial liar on TV, and he thinks it's perfectly fine because most people in Congress or most senators who are Republican regard Trump as that as well. So he can as well, and therefore it is truth. Trump definitely tells a good bit of lies, that's for sure, or extreme exaggerations, whatever they're going to call it, rhetoric, just like these people were listening to in these clips and Democrats and Republicans in the Senate as well. So even if it is true that someone is or is not a serial liar, it doesn't make the reasoning sound. The suggestion here by Bernstein is that something is true if a lot of people believe it to be true. That's ridiculous. And we all know that's certainly not the case. And he's doing the same thing that this guy from The Atlantic did. They like to just preemptively label someone with a negative term to attempt to discredit them so that people won't even look at the content of what they're actually saying. Because even serial liars sometimes say true things. In fact, maybe they say things that other serial liars don't want anybody else to believe, so they try and discredit them by slapping all these labels on them. It's the content that everybody should really be looking at. Not the sources. They want us to focus on these frickin' sources. Man, nothing has discredited Woodward and Bernstein's Watergate work more than Bernstein appearing on CNN all the time since Trump got elected in 2016. The guy's like literally never provided a piece of evidence to support what he says in his life. It's all based on like inner truth. All right, I'm going to play one more before we get out of here. This is a, I think it's funny. But let's see if you can spot where she slips up a little bit here. This is a journalist named Claire Atkinson. Those in power denigrate journalists. Journalists become fair game. And then what happens Mm. is what you see is that morphs into online harassment. We've seen a huge escalation in online harassment over the past 30 years. And that, unfortunately, quite often then morphs again into real world violence against journalists. An escalation in online harassment over the past 30 years. Wow, how could that be? I wonder how that happened where there's more online harassment when billions of people are on the internet versus when, like, no one is on the internet. All right, that's going to wrap up the Drive Time News Blast. We are going to continue with these clips in the DMB XR. we got a lot of good ones still, one where they talk about what they call explanatory journalism and really just some other comments on what they hope the future of CNN will be. Before we get out of here, I will let you hear very quickly, Carl Bernstein saying sexy. 
sexy, sexy, sexy. If you want to get access to that Drive Time News Blast XR, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there. Today, we will talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.